Hello and welcome to the Side Quest, your source for gaming news and discussion for both gamers and non-gamers alike. I'm your host, Micah. I'm your co-host, Josh. And today we got a few things going on. We're going to be talking about some of our uh, guilty pleasures, uh, games from our past, games that maybe we're playing now. Who knows? We'll have to find out. Um, then we're going to be talking about Dishonored, Death of the Outsider, the newly released game slash DLC slash its own thing um, that uh, Arcane has released. Then we're going to be talking about the very controversial loot boxes, gambling uh, kind of situation that the game uh, system is going on now and just kind of talking about our thoughts and our opinions about that. Um, and then we'll be talking about kind of uh, something about the, 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 the quality of games that we have available and the effect it has on our enjoyment and uh, just a few other things. So uh, before we get started on any of our topics, let's just kind of uh, catch up on everyone. So Josh, how's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty great. I'm finally about to drift away from this uh, cesspool of Mac gaming that I've been doing for years. Uh, dropped the money on a on a gaming PC, so mm-hmm. I got that going for me. So that's nice. And then I just ordered a jersey for my favorite esports team because uh, gotta you gotta represent when League of Legends goes to Worlds. Wait, is that a thing? Are there actual jerseys for video game competition? No, literally every single esports team probably has a jersey that you can buy and it, it's definitely like the bigger ones so like immortals tsm uh, cloud nine uh g2 is one that i is my favorite team so i just bought a g2 jersey uh but then like fanatic h2k pretty much all of the if a player wears a jersey on the stage for that team then there's a jersey that you can buy i don't think anyone ever saw this coming like 10 years ago like no one could there's you, there's no way that they foresaw that like hey let's do uh let's do this esports thing I, I and just, then all of a sudden jerseys is going to be a huge thing for esports like what I just <laughs> I, I wonder if Albertsons is going to start carrying jerseys like they do uh, oh. uh Cowboys jerseys <laughs> no, no 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 maybe okay so maybe if esports ever became big enough to be localized mm-hmm. then yes but right now like there are hubs right in esports. As far as League of Legends and like Dota and some other games are concerned, most of it all takes place in like California. Oh yeah. But yeah. if we ever had localization, and so it's like there's literally a Dallas team, or there's literally a Houston team, a San Diego team, uh, a Kansas City team. Like if it got as localized as like full-on franchised sports, then maybe stores would start selling jerseys. But I, as much as I love esports, I don't think it'll ever make it there. No, I doubt it, especially since the internet will only become more and more um, a part of it to where you'll have the best of the best being one team, and they're all from different corners of the world. So, yeah, I doubt we'll ever see a localized system, let alone a kind of universally absorbed esports game. Unlike the team that wins, the, the team that I essentially view them as like when i think of them as another sports team i think of them as the patriots just because everybody loves the patriots because they always win so it's like in league of legends there's skt and they've won worlds three times and it's just annoying that they've won it so many times and so i just kind of view them that way but they're in korea and so it's like if you want their jersey you're you're spending oh importing that jersey from korea right (laughs) You know, though, it'll be interesting to see if uh, we get to witness the newest 
like American, not even American, but the newest like coming of sport. Like, cause you know, football was just a, a street game that kids played, you know, and now, now it's a, a mainly national. I mean, let's be well, real. It's, football, football came from soccer. Like it literally started from soccer. Right. And then yeah. I'm just saying like, you know, sports, everybody called soccer, soccer. And yeah. then the other regions were like, now we're calling it football now. And then America's like, we have we have football. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see They're if like, we. No, but we're we're calling soccer football. It'll be interesting to see if we witness what happens when a sport, quote unquote, I don't know, um, whenever something becomes truly nationally accepted. It'll, it, I, that would be kind of cool to see, actually. Even though I don't watch esports, it would be kind of cool to be part of the generation that was like we. We're the ones who started it. Um, I mean, like it, it's totally happening. So, like, oh, yeah. Disney and Team Liquid, which has uh, teams in League of Legends, Dota, Counter Strike, like everything, and then uh, ESPN aired the Dota Two Championship game. Uh, ESPN is saying that they're going to play parts of uh, League of Legends Worlds tournament on TV. Like, mm. it's happening. It's happening yeah. now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely growing. So it it could happen. I'm just I don't know if it's like a, it's still a a gamer central thing. So it'll be interesting if it ever really breaks that, you know. But yeah, yeah. So we just totally created a topic out of nowhere. That's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, we both uh, we both just came from uh, a breakfast though. Uh, not not the same breakfast. I didn't. I didn't go. You didn't go. Slept in. I, I, I decided to sleep. Uh, I had a I got there to go cook eggs, and then he's like, "Oh, could you actually go get me some? Go get go get the coffee." And then now there's like coffee stains in my car. Uh, thanks Starbucks. Uh, but yeah, um, so I went to a breakfast and uh, got to hang out with some dudes and just kind of catch up and eat some bacon and eggs and yeah. But besides that, my week's been pretty nonchalant. I guess I don't have that much of an eventful life. <laughs> All a right. person who's about to get married yeah i mean that's in four months so in four months i will have the greatest weekly up- life update ever uh but until then uh we'll see um but let's go ahead and jump into our our first uh topic today um and i just thought this would be fun to talk about just kind of our our, our guilty pleasures of um our lives um i know for me like one of mine would be the sims and I'm sure a lot of people would say that it's not a guilty pleasure since I've seen people talk about it all the time. But when I was a kid, it was a girl's game. You know, my sister played it. The girls of the neighborhood played it. And so I always assume, you know, cause you're taking care of families and you got little families and you're building a house and decorating. It was a girl's game, but I enjoyed playing that and I'd play it for so many hours and, yeah, but you, you tended to like make the game a little more demented at times though, Who like didn't? trapping, Trapping them inside of rooms that they can't get out of, uh, removing things out from under them with cheat codes, you know, the fun stuff. But I mean that that is the game that that's the secret game. It, it's sort of like a, I don't know if you've watched it, but uh, um, oh, I totally forgot the word. The Westworld. Uh, you know, the the game that you see is not the true game of the game. Uh, okay. uh but yeah i would uh what about you any any guilty pleasures i don't know um besides saints row 3 
guilty pleasure. Like <laughs> that game's fantastic. Like all of the Saints Rose. Like for a while, like I haven't done it recently, and I'll probably do it soon since I got uh, Saints Row 2, 3, and 4 for PC in anticipation, I'll probably go back and replay the first one and then just play through all of them yeah. because I used to do that once a year. Right, it, yeah. I are would you, play through every single Saints Row game. So are you going to play the uh, Agents of Mayhem game? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I probably should have pre-ordered it ahead of time so I could get Johnny Gat. But mm. I don't know. I, I feel like they'll release him as a paid DLC eventually, so yeah. just pick him up then. I actually have not heard great things about it. Apparently on PC, it's not very well optimized at all. Might get it for console then. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Uh, I do know, when I was a little kid, I remember on one of our like family computers, we had a... I don't know if it was like an American girl game or like a Barbie game, but you could like dress girls up and cut their hair and like do their makeup. And I would play that and I would have so much fun cutting their hair and stuff. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Had something. It ju- oh, I just thought of there was some stupid game I used to play all the time. Holy crap. What was it? <laughs> what was it? My little pony. This is going to, this is going to torture me. No, no, no. I think there was like for the PlayStation Two. There was some. There were this like just stream of like adapted video games. Oh yeah. So there was like there was the Jimmy Neutron. Yes. PlayStation Two. I played that a ton. There was this like open world esque Scooby Doo video game. Oh yeah. Where you would like travel where you played a scooby for the most part and then you would like go through this haunted mansion in these different areas trying to like unmask all the different monsters it was based off that movie wasn't it i think so we're like it was like some electric guy and he was like taking over video games or something like that i think i don't know that sounds right and then there was like the spongebob bikini bottom video game did you you like did you ever get to play the the buzz lightyear game no, I never played that one. Oh, that was fun. I accidentally deleted the save of a friend of mine's after he had almost beaten the game. I played from the beginning and overwrote his save. He was so <laughs> mad. And I felt so bad because we we're talking back then when you're kids, a 20 hour game or 10 hour game would take three, four, five, six weeks because you're so bad at it because you're a kid. And yeah. I got it. I spent a very unhealthy amount of time in Viva Pinata, and I'm not. <laughs> I, I, like, I, a friend, uh, it was a girlfriend at the time. Her best friend was like, this game's awesome. You should play it. And I was like, I don't, I don't think so, but I'll try it. Right. And I brought it home, and I played it, and then suddenly 13 hours later, it was like, whoa. And then I just kept it. I just, I just kept playing it. Nice. Just, just, yeah. I, but Viva Pinata, yeah, I played that for a good while for some reason. I tried playing that, and I was just like, I don't get it. Second one on, I think it was like Xbox Games for Gold. Yeah. They put that out there. It was like, I don't even remember what the, the game was called. It was like Viva Pinata, but then it had like a second tagline. It right. was terrible. I couldn't play it. I played it for like maybe two or three hours and was like, nope, I'm, <laughs> nope. This doesn't have the same. It's no. not the same magic, man. It's not the same. So yeah, um, it's kind of crazy how many games we we've played in our life. I 
when we were talking, there was a game that popped in my head that I I can't remember it now, but just looking back, it's like oh uh, oh I remember being at Blockbuster back when they had actual consoles available to play to test out games, and I was there to pick up Spider Man Two, but oh great game they also had this game where you were like a dog in a neighborhood and you were, you were supposed to be a dog and doing dog things. And I don't remember the name of the game. I don't ever remember playing it, but I wanted to play it so bad because you were a dog and you got to be a dog in the neighborhood. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I think you like attacked a squirrel at some point or something like that. But yeah, just it's amazing when you like look back the amount of games that we've probably played. Are you talking about Dog's Life? Probably. I I don't know if there's any other dog go- games. I literally just Googled... Dog game. <laughs> and so there's one that's called Dog's Life. It says it's an action-adventure game for PlayStation 2 with yeah. some very interesting mechanics. It tells the story of Jake, a dog who gets himself entangled in a center of of a wicked plot in order to save the gal he loves. Aww. Players venture through three main areas, engaging in various missions to get rewards or bones <laughs> and using smell vision to pick yes. up latent scents and activating challenges against local dogs. Now the important question is what was the rating review? Uh, or review ratings. Let me, let me, let me check. Let me check on that real quick. But, uh, Metacritic gave it a 64 okay. as its aggregation and IGN gave it a seven out of 10. Not bad. Not bad uh, for a game about a dog. Its initial release date, October 31st, 2003. Oh, man. I think that was probably one of the golden ages of video games. Because <laughs> that's when... Uh, we were getting so many good PlayStation 2 games then. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, what was, what was one that I spent? Um, let me look this one up real quick. I mean, Oops. I probably okay. poured hours in Spider-Man 2, like 175,000. Spider-Man 2, uh, I remember... I would play Destroy All Humans like it was my day job. <laughs> yeah. Great. And then, well, so that came, Destroy All Humans came out in 2005. When did Spider-Man 2 come out? It had to be like 2002. 2003. Released uh, June 28th, 2004. Wow, I was off. <laughs> Just a little, but, but yeah, that 2003 to 2005, we got a lot of really good games in between then and there. And you know what's crazy about the Spider-Man 2 game? is you know the the common uh thought of any video game that comes out with the same title as a movie or based off a movie is it's bad because 99% of them are horrible but Spider-Man 2 game came out only probably what a month after the movie like it was being marketed with the movie yeah let me um, check on that date for you yeah but it was such a highly refined game with the best web swinging mechanics that no game, not even a, a single Spider-Man game has even come close to matching. And it is heralded as one of the best games in history because along with the, the excellent gameplay and web swinging, it was also held up by a really strong movie story along with the game also took like B characters that weren't in the movie, uh, B villains and would, uh, put them in, in the middle of like the story and you'd have to fight them. And so it was this really varied game 
And at the center of it was this very refined core of mechanics that just made you absolutely feel like Spider-Man better than even the Arkham games have done for Batman. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. A video game released two days before the movie came out. In theaters. Holy cow. I, I was at the midnight release for that game. I remember because I made my dad come and we got pizza. And I think there was a guy dressed up as Spider-Man. And I was like 10 or 11 or 12. I can't do math from 2004 to 1992. So I guess, yeah. Um, but, dude, that was such a great game. And they, they beat the film. Like, that's amazing. As in, they released it before the film, not like sales or anything like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that was a good trip down memory lane. That That kind of brightened my day right there. Uh, but real quick, let's actually talk about the newest release um, of the Dishonored series, Death of the Outsider. Um, now, my first complaint is I thought this was DLC for Dishonored 2, um, and it's not. And while I mean it's not a complaint in of itself, as in like I don't, I'm not complaining that the game is not DLC, but the problem is it takes another inventory slot. Like it, it's its own separate name in my steam list so i can't just go to dishonored 2 and play the dlc like i did with the uh dishonored 1 now i have to like actually click on death of the outsider in steam and open it up which isn't a big deal but it's not a full unique game why wouldn't they just make it dlc i don't know yeah uh see it's kind of like what they did in dishonored 1 though so like one thing that irked me with the first dishonored is they, they build the game. Beautiful game. I love Dishonored. I played a ton of the first Dishonored, trying to go through and find all the different routes, figuring out different ways to do things. And so it would have been... I would have loved seeing Mansion on Corvo. But when they released DLC for Dishonored 2, starting off with... Uh, oh, what was it called? The... Uh, uh, the Knife of Dunwall yeah. was like the first DLC pack. Right. You start out as a different character. Yeah. Like, you start out as as Dowd instead of, which is, Dowd is the person responsible for assassinating Empress Caldwin and kidnapping Emily. So you're already playing as someone who you kill, essentially, in Dishonored. Can and kill. It explains. Doesn't have to. You don't have to kill Dowd, but he's an assassination target, and so there's always a different way to get rid of an enemy. But, so, so Dowd is someone you go after in the game. But then his DLC, I guess, focuses on what happens if you don't kill him or what happens beforehand. And so it kind of goes all the way through, but then eventually Dowd runs into the Brigmore Witches. And the Brigmore Witches are uh, led by uh, Delilah Copperpot, I think that's her name, who's the main antagonist of Dishonored 2. And so it kind of ties the stories in together. But Death of the Out... uh, But blah, blah, blah. The other DLCs, they are accessed in Dishonored 1. Nice. Right. Well, and to be honest, like to, I actually enjoyed the the inclusion of the death of or the knife of Dunwall because he has separate powers. It gives you kind of a different look, like he's got a different sword and different gun and all that. Uh, and so it, it kind of refreshes everything. You know, you're not you're not still the same character. Um, which death of the outsider is the same way. She has her own unique powers. She has her own unique look. 
And I kind of like that, that you're getting a complete new perspective. It kind of changes the way you mentally want to play. Whereas when you're like Emily, you may want to be less murdery because you're kind of a queen or empress. Whereas in Death of the Outsider or Knife of Dunwall, you're an assassin. Like that's kind of your, your bread and butter. So I like it in the sense that it gives you new and unique powers. And apparently, I believe I read that in Death of the Outsider, once you beat the game, you can then also use like uh, the other powers, like Emily's powers and stuff like that. I think it does kind of like the new game plus thing that the original Dishonored 2 did with Emily and Corvo's powers, where you can kind of upgrade whichever one you want to do. Yeah. I think. I may be wrong about that. I personally would, would have just liked to see more of the base game expanded on rather than seeing expansion with an additional character also so close to the release of Dishonored 2. Like, Dishonored 2 has been out for a year. Right. And then all of a sudden we have a full expansion, standalone expansion character doing entirely different things. I don't know. It's just... I I would so much rather have seen more expansion on Emily and Corvo. To be fair, though, like... Seeing Corvo's really developed. Corvo's kind of he is who he is. You know, he's he's the right hand man. He's the guy who gets the job done. Like that that is his personality. He really has never been more than that. Whereas Emily, like, she's also kind of I don't know, like they didn't really write those characters to be these flesh which yeah, I guess in that sense you want more fleshed out. So I, I, I would agree, like I it would be cool to see a broader story, like more of their other side of life. Um, but at the same time, I also think this is probably a story they wanted to tell. And, and, uh, for me with so many games being released simply to release a game, I'm going to commend anyone who releases a a story that they want to tell. And while the, like I played the first mission, I'm in the second mission now. And the first mission is kind of the tutorial. And it was a, it was honestly a very weak opening. Like there was, there wasn't really any built. Like like kind of the the premise of the game is you're trying to seek out your trainer who is Dodd, the knife of Dunwall, um, and kind of make rec- recompense for your betrayal of him. And you're trying to like basically, uh, you know, re- uh, kind of restore your friendship. And so the first mission is you saving Dodd. Now the trailer for this DLC slash new game expansion, it shows you like fighting through all these people to get to him. Whereas in the game, he's in this like fighting pit and you can kind of sneak around and just release him. And then he, you know, it's like, okay, that was not, you know, it's not really a part of the story. It's kind of the prologue. And the rest of the game is you trying to kill the outsider who is this like creepy, mysterious God creature, uh, who gives you powers and stuff. But, after you do that, then the game actually kicks into gear and the powers, uh, this chick gets whose name I can't remember right now. Uh, she has some pretty cool powers. She has one where she can teleport, but you can actually like place where you want to teleport down and then you can kind of like fight or do whatever you want. And then you can click the button and then you'll teleport without having to look at it. And so like before you teleport, there's kind of like this really weird shimmery version of you and like, her powers are kind of connected to this concept of like your body, like breaking apart and falling apart. And so every time you do something, it's kind of like a piece of you is, or like your pieces are just falling apart. It's really interesting. I really like the art 
style of it. So I'm really interested to play it. And another one of her powers is you can like steal the appearance or concept of someone in their face, which kills them. So like if you take a civilian's face, you're killing them. Uh, and then people kind of mistake you for them, but it drains your energy. And then the other power is you can like kind of turn into this time stopped ghost creature that can kind of fly around and like tag people and teleport to them and kill. It, it's interesting. I feel like they actually came up with some pretty cool powers. So I'm interested to see what they do with the game. I was just kind of frustrated that it wasn't just part of the dishonored Two DLC menu. Honestly, I'll be annoyed because I, I kind of like that. It's like, it goes in with Dishonored 2 and it's launched from Dishonored 2, fine. But if if they start making if they completely ignore Dishonored 2 and don't release anything for it, release a DLC for this expansion, I actually will be upset. Like I'll be frustrated yeah. with that. I could see that, yeah. I love Dishonored 2. I think it's phenomenally better than the first one. And oh, yeah. If if it gets ignored and then they do stuff for this one, I will actually be kind of pissed. You know what's funny? Like Dishonored One was great. Dishonored Two was better, but I just wasn't as drawn to it or or uh, drawn in. Like I love well, I love didn't playing you play it. As Corvo? Didn't you play as Corvo first? Yeah, and but it wasn't so much that I like, went straight into it playing as Emily, and I feel like I got so much more from it playing as a new character the first go through than trying to play as Corvo again. Yeah. It it wasn't so much like the powers or anything. I think part of it was the world. The world is very depressing, just like the first one. Um, and I think it's, it's not bland. And I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just now that my life is a little bit more busy. I can't, it's harder for me to get drawn into games. I think that's more than anything. That's all it is. It's just I'm busier. I have less of an attention span for games. Well, um, let's go ahead and move on. I think we've kind of talked about that pretty well. Um, I think we're both kind of apprehensively looking to the future about Dishonored. I think they always produce good content. It'll just be, is it in the direction we want or is it in a direction we maybe are kind of skeptical about? Um, yeah. So the next topic, um, this has been kind of being passed around the internet a lot uh, lately as more and more games take this that have no purpose of using it. At, and it's getting to a point where games that literally have no place for it are now, it's now being put into them. And of course I'm talking about loot boxes. Um, so, Josh, why don't you explain what loot boxes are for our audience? Okay, so essentially, a loot box is a way to get through random drops in-game. And they've been traditionally employed in, like, online PvP games. Free-to-play. Like, Counter-Strike. Yeah, well... Mostly free-to-play. Sometimes right, not. But then you have, like, Counter-Strike actually was, like, one of the big starters of loot boxes... Uh, Dota uses loot boxes. League of Legends uses loot boxes now. Even Rocket League uses loot boxes. There's there's usually a way that you can do it. So I think through the Steam games like Dota and Counter-Strike, the boxes are randomly dropped, and then you have to buy keys. 
and with actual money. And then Rocket League is the same way. You have to you can randomly get a loot box or you can buy loot boxes with keys already. Okay. And so you can you can buy a loot box. So like loot boxes are only random dropped in Rocket League as well. Loot boxes in Dota and Counter-Strike can be sold and exchanged and traded with other players on the Steam store. And so that kind of gives like a variability so it's like you don't really care about skins or supplementary content in the game you just want to play. You can actually make profit off of those by selling them to other people who are really concerned about it. Right. Whereas in Rocket League, if you get a loot box, you can trade it to someone for other items in the game other or you buy a key. Like you can't sell essentially that on the consoles. You might be able to do it on Steam, I don't know. But then League of Legends employs it to where you can buy loot boxes and keys, but then based on your grade in a game, like if you do really, really well, they'll grade you. And if you get like an S, an S minus, or an S plus, they will give you a loot box. It recharges. So you can you can get a total of five in a month, and then every week you get another opportunity to get one. Right. But you can only earn one loot box per champion per season. Huh. Key fragments can be dropped. They've just recently changed it to where key fragments are given to you through the honor system or by winning. And so they'll give you key fragments over time, but you can also buy keys. And so you actually never have to spend money in League of Legends to unlock new content mm-hmm. unless you really, really want it. Say you're like, it's getting towards the end of the season. You haven't gotten a, a bunch of keys recently and you have a bunch of loot chests, then you can buy keys and open them all. And usually the, the chest will give you a pretty pretty decent thing. Or else they've they've also implemented systems to re-roll and reorganize their content to give you new stuff. So like say you, you get shards for a bunch of champions you already have. Instead of disenchanting them, you can re-roll them into a permanent shard for a champion you don't have. But it's random. And so like there are different games that do it differently. But then, unfortunately, you have something like Shadow of War that is now implementing loot boxes in a predominant setting, which more and more games seem to be taking that route, and you're you're probably the better Shadow of War loot box and the PVE loot boxes. I think you paid more attention to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the difference between say like Rainbow Six Siege, they they introduced alpha packs, which are loot boxes, and uh, basically every time you play a game, uh, it increases your chance of opening up a loot box or alpha pack by like 2%. Um, and so you start out, like let's say you unlocked a loot box or a alpha pack, um, it'll reset it to like uh, 2% chance. So every time you play, whether or not you lose or win a match, uh, it increases by like 2 or 4% each time. Then if you win a match, it'll actually roll to see if you unlock one. You can purchase them with in-game currency. So if you if you're you know earning, which you're always earning in-game uh, credits, um, you can uh, purchase you know an alpha pack or ten or whatever. Um, or you can use real money, I believe. Although last time I checked, it yeah you can. Um, but then you have something like Shadow War, like you said, where. 99% of the game is single player. It has a multiplayer or not even a multiplayer content. It has where you can invade other people's castles that they filled with NPCs. 
So you're not even attacking the player. It's just you're attacking their castle. It has loot boxes, uh, loot chests, which can unlock you new orcs, which can be powerful or wimpy or whatever. Uh, swords, armor, all that. Uh, gold, in fact, uh, and stuff. So different currencies. And so it's like, okay, why does this single-player game that is built around you progressing through a story, building an army, now have loot boxes where you can pay real money to unlock an army and get weapons and gear that you're supposed to earn again. And so it's, uh, people are really getting to a point where like, you know what? We just need to call this what it is gambling. Um, and it's interesting to see how the whole community of gaming is really getting upset at this because we're seeing games that should have no business in loot boxes, bringing them in. And so I'm just wondering, Will they continue to do this, or are they going to see this outrage and go, ah, maybe we shouldn't? But the problem is, people are giving money. I mean, you look at Grand Theft Auto Online, and their whole, the whole Grand Theft Auto business model has shifted from five, five years ago? It's completely different. Well, I think you need to be careful calling loot boxes in general gambling, because there is legitimately gambling in video games. True. So, like, yeah, you're spending money, but you're spending money and you're buying an item. So, like, whatever, whatever way you want to look at this, you buy a loot box, you are opting in to buy some supplementary content, and you get that content, and no one can take that content from you. So, but... that's the concept of loot boxes. You can't really, like, Legends, you buy a chest you get a key. You unlock the chest. That skin or shard or whatever you get goes into your inventory. Same with Dota. That thing that you acquire goes into your inventory. Rocket League, that thing that you acquire is in your inventory. Gambling, on the other hand, is something that is really, really prominent in like the CSGO. Well, you could say... Where you can literally gamble your inventory and win money and lose money, actual money, based on random roles and various other things that happen within that thing. Like you can lose money and items. Like they can be taken from you. Right. But like like, that's gambling. Well, you say that, but if you go to a casino and you put a dime into a dime machine, you're either just not going to make any money. or You're going to make some money, but you're not like losing extra money. Same as with like in, um, actually think about that. So you put a dime into a, Slot machine. Into a slot machine. You lose. That dime's gone. Right. Yeah. Um, you beat more than that dime. That's gambling. Well, here, here's the Money thing. Money and get, a, get an item. It's gambling. Well, here, here's... Here, the, it's not gambling. It's just acquiring content. But you don't know what content you're getting. So let's say... like in, in Rainbow it Six, is, You can call it a gamble. Because it is... Like, so then you're gambling. Random, but that... <laughs> different than so like taking a gamble or a risk with something is not because there is still a return but gambling means that there is a risk that you get nothing no it means you may not get the thing you desire you're gambling that you will get what you want even though you may not it's not like a like okay I think I get what you're saying. You're saying there's a difference between the CSGO like off websites where you're literally 
trying to gamble for items that you may not get versus like loot boxes. So, like, so this is like you're gambling your inventory of money that you've spent and you can lose all of that stuff to right. someone else. Like yeah. that's like you're not getting anything in return. You are literally losing everything and you're staking what you have against what someone else has. And you will get their stuff or they will get your stuff and vice versa. Now, so like you're losing money. Is like is, there is there is a chance that you like you will lose everything and then you have nothing. Like you've lost all of your money or all of the time you spent in the game. So so with that, is that an in game business model or is that like a separate business model that other people have created that is something that other people have created and they have tried to shut that down like right. that is legitimate gambling yeah so that's it that's kind of a separate topic in my opinion like that is definitely an important topic because uh, i know i would just be careful because loot boxes i i say i say there's a difference between taking a gamble and making a gamble okay that so it's like <laughs> if you if you're gambling you are actually gambling there is a chance that you will put money down and you will get nothing in return with loot boxes you're taking the gamble and so it's like you know that if you do this there's a chance that you could get something awesome or there's a chance that you won't get something really cool at all but the end matter of the the end fact is that you will receive something you're putting money forward money will like a content will come to you but there is no there is no feeling of loss because you got something. But is that something? Pointed in what you got, but you got something. Is Gambling that... means that there's a, there's a chance that you lose everything and you get nothing from what you put in. But is that something that we want in our games at all? Especially... I don't, think that it's, I don't necessarily think that it's destructive to the game as long as it's not forced. But like let's let's go back to the Shadow of War conversation, right? This single player game now has loot boxes where you can pay real money to possibly get good stuff or stuff you already have or uh just a bunch of credits. Um is that would you not argue that they're going to try and make that appeasing because they're not just going to put it in there and then make the game to where you don't need to use that like or or they're not going to make you want to use that they may make you want to use it but as long as so like if they say like all of the credits and everything that you use to spend to get those upgrades if it's like some ridiculous number that takes forever to grind for and they're sitting there shoving the loot boxes down your face like hey do this instead, do this instead, do this instead. You can get it now if you do this instead, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. That's a horrible, absolutely horrible thing for a single-player game. But if it's like, look, you can grind for a little bit and get this, but there's also loot boxes to get now, or you could get super cool stuff, or there's stuff that you could get exclusively through loot boxes. If you want to go that route, that's fine. I don't think it hurts the integrity of the game at all. But... As long as they're not being like, hey, either you spend 30 hours grinding for this one orc or you spend 20 bucks and you can get it right now. I think potentially. I think think that's the fear, though, is that if we allow this to become a common practice, these game producers will use it more and more 
as a detriment to the game. So why not nip it in the bud now so that it doesn't become this common practice where, oh, it's been this way, it's always been this way, so it's got to be this way. If we kill it now, get rid of it, then we don't have to deal with it. I just feel like this, it's going to be like when we had, when you would, when they tried to get rid of people like borrowing games or, or stealing games. So in every game case, you had to type in a code before you played the game to make sure that you legally bought this game and no one else has used this code. I don't want to see that come back. Luckily that has, I think been totally killed. I don't think any, well, they killed it for consoles, but that's how PC gaming started. With yeah, keys. but you can register your game. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it's been killed for consoles. We we crushed that uh, with an outcry and with just people saying no. Um, and so it's it's just it's one of those things that, that we I haven't been able to crush like DRM like always oh, yeah. online. But that has kind of they don't push that as much. Like I know Hitman once they because the. Um, Oh, what company is that? Uh, uh, IO Interactive. When they separated from Square Enix, they dropped the always online component. And so it's becoming kind of a positive trend of, okay, it's not always online. Like every game that came out as always online has either died (laughs) or taken that away. And so that's another thing that we've kind of pushed back on. And I think, unfortunately, though, this one, people are drawn to it because even though you may not consider it gambling, it still uses the same techniques and same psychological tricks as gambling. And so people who are prone to that, and and this isn't, you know, and the problem is, and I think the reason why this is becoming such a big topic is it's not moderated by any governmental system like a casino is. Any kid can get their parents' wallet and start spending money to buy these loot boxes. And no one, unless you're a parent who's proactive, you know, these kids could spend money and they're essentially buying into this mentality that, oh, I, you know, gambling's good. You know, this is, this is fun. And so I think. Honestly, the way I see it is it's like one of those little little boxes that you can buy at like a comic book store or a game store where it's like one of five figures inside buy it to collect them all and then you don't know which figures inside and so you have to keep buying them i don't think that's gambling i mean like because you're still getting a product you might get one that you've already gotten before but it's not gambling i do think that people can be addicted to the rng and can spend money over and over and over again trying to get the good thing but the reality is they're still getting a product every time they spend money. And so that's why no government entity will come in and try and regulate that because it's not actually gambling. All right. I see that. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair argument. Uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. Um, we talked about that for quite a while. I think I'd like to talk about just the quantity of games and kind of see where you wanted to go on that topic. Cause that seemed a little interesting. Okay. And then, I like I like the Bethesda on the Switch thing because I made a statement to Micah last night that I am calling it now <laughs> that we will see Fallout 4 on the Switch before we hear anything about Elder Scrolls 6. And it honestly seems super likely. Like a Bethesda move to make is they're like, you know what we could do instead of doing anything about Elder Scrolls 6? 
Fallout 4 on the Switch. We already have it on the Vive. We might as well make it portable, too. And so, it just... Uh. Have they even made a single mention of Elder Scrolls 6? Not one bit. Okay, and so this is what irks me so much. Is so, like, they usually have had, like, a certain amount of time between their games. So, like, let's look up Fallout 3. Fallout 3 was released in 2008. Fallout 4... Fallout 4 was released in 2015. Seven years. All right, here we go. Elder Scrolls Oblivion was released 2006. What's seven years after 2006? 2013. But Skyrim came out in then. So that's... No, that's seven years. No, that's five years. So are we... There's a, there was a five-year gap between Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion and Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim. Five years. There was a seven-year gap between Fallout and Fallout Four. So Elder Scrolls came out in 2011. It has been almost six years, and by now we should have at least heard something. I mean, should they're we, about to though? roll into year seven, and and they're still selling Skyrim. Like, why? They're still pushing it. There's like they're like, oh my god, Skyrim on Switch! Like, really? Do we need this? That's why I think that they're going to announce something for Fallout Four on the Switch before oh, we yeah. even hear anything about a sixth Elder Scrolls game. But I like, think my thing is, do they owe us a a a pattern of release? Don't necessarily think they owe us a pattern of release. They just need to tell us something. Whether or not they're making it, if it's in production, kind of a... a, a... Like, they haven't told us anything, I don't well, think. And it's just, that's what irks me, is well, they here... haven't said... Yeah, but here's the hold thing. Up, hold up, I just found a I just found a news article from Forbes. All right. Oh. What does it say? Six is likely to be delayed to protect the Elder Scrolls Online and Skyrim. Mm. Yeah, they don't want to mess with the sales. But they're, here, they're everything about Elder Scrolls Six because they're trying to max. They're trying to continue to maximize money off of Elder Scrolls Online and Skyrim. It's oh like yeah. Skyrim's been out for seven years almost, and people are let still it buying die. it. But like, uh, why would they let something die that people are still buying? Like when we were playing, like when we were playing the uh, the game dev game. Like if our game was still selling. Yeah, we'd be working on another game, but you don't want to release a new game because then that steals from the sell, like the sales of this previous game. Now, once the profits get to a point where they, I'm, I'm more concerned that we haven't gotten anything. Like we just haven't just tell us something. But if you remember Skyrim, there was no news until they showed a demo, uh, like four months before the game came out. Like when they when Bethesda announces a game, it's usually, hey, guess what? It's January or it's July. It's coming out in November. Like that's that's been their model since at least Skyrim, because I think that's always the most exciting thing. You're like, oh, this game looks awesome, and then most games are like coming out in 2019. Well, it's 2016 right now, so that kind of sucks. But then Bethesda comes out and like, hey, here's this new game. Look at this awesome 15 minute gameplay trailer. Oh, guess what? You can play it in four months. Like I've always loved that because then my excitement lasts and I don't forget about this game. And so that's why I think they've not said anything is because they're going to continue that model of, we're not going to tell you anything about it until we're practically ready to release it. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
So, I mean, we'll see. They, it may be where they're just literally like, we have this game ready to release, but we're not releasing it until Skyrim stops, you know, making us money. And, and at that point we'll release it. But I think, I think they're just waiting until it is almost ready to be released. The thing that irks me the most is, I guess, is that like done creation club and mods to try and keep the game alive and fresh content into the game, but they're not actively like releasing anything new. They did three DLC packs and that's it. So it's like, you expect us to survive off of three DLC packs. Well, they also came out with, they also released 2012. They also, yeah, they did the HD texture thing but yeah i agree update and then they, so it's like they're not they're not giving us anything really all that new but people are still buying it so i guess it works <laughs> well i think i think the main sales are coming from pc sales like people are probably just still buying it on computers because then they can mod the ever-living crap out of it and make it whatever game they want it to be but i mean they just released it on xbox one ps4 and now the switch like that's just where they they're making money off it. I don't understand why people keep buying it because, honestly, I haven't touched it in years, really. So I, I don't get it. But apparently, people just love that game. Remasters edition just the just because my version on PS3 was atrocious because yeah. of all the problems it had. You had so the like, worst time with that game. Oh, it was a good time. Anyway. <laughs> That's right. that's just that just irks me, but I want to hear about this quantity of games. Like, yeah, what's what's your thoughts on that? So, so what we're talking about is I had read this post that someone had placed, and they're just talking about how when they were a kid, they only had a few games, and so they would play those games over and over again, and they would play every aspect of the game and explore every corner. And he's like, like that was that was his reality. That's that's the way his mind worked. Is when you played a game. You played every ounce that it had to offer. Then he was talking about how his younger brother was born in a time where they had now collected a bunch of games. And so he had just a whole shelf or whatever, you know, to pick from. And so what he noticed was his brother would play a game until it got too hard or frustrating or he didn't know what to do. And then he would just pop it out and put in a new one and play a different game. And so he was just talking about how this quantity available of games affects the way that you end up playing them. And I thought it was interesting because I've noticed that in my life, I remember when I was a kid, I would only have a new game probably every six months, you know, a new one for my birthday, a new one for Christmas, uh, maybe one in the summer if I really wanted it. And so I would just be playing these games for months and, I would only play that one because that was the newest one I got and it took forever for me to get a new one. Now that I have my own income, now that I have uh, all these sales constantly going on to where I can get five or six games with a single purchase, I, I've i bought like new games that I've played 15 minutes of and then I'm like, oh, I'll come back to it. And then I probably never come back to it. And then... I have so many games that I've played a little bit of and want to play more of, but then I'm like, well, shoot, which one do I play? I don't want to play that one. Cause then I can't play that one. And so now I'm almost paralyzed. And it, it was just a really interesting aspect. And I don't know if, have you experienced that Josh, this kind of uh, either has your mentality changed the more 
games you've gotten or you know what's your thoughts uh well i guess it was like i remember from the nintendo 64 only having like a couple games and so i would play super mario 64 and Kong racing and like i think i had namco museum and then maybe a mario party and so that was all i'd really play because i only had those four games right the GameCube, and I still only had a couple games. I had like 007's Agent Under Fire, a Mario Party, uh, Mario Kart Double Dash, Super Smash Bros. Like, I still only had a couple games. And I think once it got into the PS2, I had some games. There were some games that I liked a lot, and then there were a couple games that I just had because I played them every once in a while. That, like, I would go through and beat the story, and I'd be like, okay, well, this game's not really keeping my attention that much. But this game keeps my attention really easily, and so I right. gravitate towards that one. PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, I had a bunch of games, and I would play like certain ones with certain friends, and then I would try to beat I would always try to beat the story. And if I just couldn't get through a game with gameplay or like with story, I had no desire to play it anymore, I would sell it. And I think two games that were like that for me were uh Wet and <laughs> Condemned. Like oh, there was yeah. just like the gameplay just sucked. And so I was like, well, I don't really want to play these. And so I'd just gravitate towards the other games. Like, I had no desire to beat the story. And I was like, well, I have all these other games that I can play with my friends or games that keep my attention better. So I'll just stick with these. Yeah. And- well, you know, something I've noticed between me and you is you will play the same game over and over and over again. Like, how many characters do you have in Fallout 4 that have beaten the game, quote unquote? Five. Five. So you, you've beaten the game... Five times. I have Perfection, be- man. I have beaten the game <laughs> once. Um, well, I've- I'm an achievement whore. So <laughs> I will I will play a game until I can get as many achievements as possible. Like I I still I have every single achievement in Oblivion except for one. Because when it comes to it comes to like the Shivering Isles DLC, ah. you either choose between the Duke of Mania or the Duchess and you kill one of them and then take their spot. Right. And you get an achievement based on which one you kill and which one you take their spot of and which one you become. I chose one, but then never went back and played through Shivering Isles with a different character to choose the other. So it's literally the only achievement out of all of Oblivion <laughs> that I don't have. Yeah. 100% did Saints Row 3. 100% did Saints Row 4. Got all the achievements. Uh, did it for Assassin's Creed 2. I think I did it for... I don't think I did it for Brotherhood because... Once people, once games started putting in like achievements linked to multiplayer, I was oh, like, eh, yeah. I don't really care for that. I tried to get as many from Halo Reach as I could because I was pretty good at that multiplayer. But I usually try to get a bunch of the achievements like Skyrim on one, I'm going through and it's like, oh, I'm going to try and get all of them. And I know I can eventually. I think I had most of them for PlayStation 3. Yeah. My problem, like that's, that's what makes me play games over and over and over again or a bunch of different times is either just like finding small tidbits of the story or trying to uh get all the achievements for it so i'll play a game that is i don't know dude your your mic just totally changed you got so quiet i said it was really close to my mouth and then i moved it oh way okay (laughs) (laughs) i was like what is happening so So yeah close to my mouth that i like when i said one of those words I like pursed my lips a little bit and my lip touched the mic and was like, Oh, that's probably too close. Mm, tasty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's, it was an interesting thing. And 
whenever I was just thinking about like my life, like it was almost word for word, except instead of two brothers, it was just me. And then just looking at like kind of the way, whenever I come to your place, the way you play games and the amount that you've played the same games, it was just interesting to look at. Um, so yeah, um, I think that'll be it for today. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope you guys had a good time. We actually had quite a bit to talk about today and, uh, kind of skipped a few things, but I think we had some really, really good conversations. Um, so I hope you guys tune in next week and we'll see you soon. 